In a historic week for tennis, Novak Djokovic surpasses the record for most weeks at world number one with 311, while Daniel Medvedev is set to break a 15-year drought below him. In the Middle East, however, a legend will make his return. This is Breakpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Val Febo, and as always, I am joined by the man, the myth, the legend. Joel Frucci on the other side of Zoom to uh, to discuss all things around the fuzzy yellow ball world. How are you, Joel? Yeah, I'm going all right, mate. Thanks for uh, that nice little description. That's give me a bit of a spring in this step too. But uh, yeah, I'm going all right, mate. How are you going? Yeah, I'm good. I'm not too bad. Plugging away and yeah, you know, trying to trying to stay up and watch all the tennis because it's not in our time zone anymore. Like we had that luxury. God, I missed the Australian Open. Oh, I know it was so, but even the Melbourne summer series, we had everything in Adelaide. We could at least watch all these tournaments in our time zone. Everything was all good. Nice and nice and juicy during the day. Um, and now we've got to stay up till all the hours of the night again. And the, um, the little honeymoon period of the season for us is over. But we did have a big show lined up, Joel, and we were supposed to have Anastasia Pavlichenkova last week, and that got cancelled as we started recording. And now this week, we started recording and again, cancelled. So we are guestless today, which is, um, yeah, which is very unfortunate. But um, look, me and you, we can we can plough things through, can't we? We, we, know, we know what we're doing, we hope, we'd like to think. And um, yeah, we can, we can try and make tennis fun without any guests anyway. So let's do our best and we'll go from there back to the old days where we had no guests on the show. But um, yeah, look, it was a, it was a big week last week in Doha with Petra Kvitova winning the title there over Gabinier Muguruza 6-2-6-1 in an inspired performance considering the stellar form that Gabinier Muguruza is in almost taking out Naomi Osaka at the Australian Open. But some big wins for Petra Kvitova in Doha, she's become one of one of the most successful players in the Qatar capital, and she's just the way that she plays her game. It's just so attractive to watch because of just the sheer pace and weight of shot. Um, she is definitely a draw car, a draw card, I should say, of um of women's tennis, and it would be great to see her go through and possibly get another slam. If Wimbledon does go ahead, we desperately want it to go ahead. So some big wins for her throughout the week. There was over Anastasia Pavlichenkova, who we were supposed to have on the show, Annette Contevate, Jessica Pagula, and then Muguruza in the final. So a win like this over such a quality opponent, Joel, could have could have some serious ramifications for the rest of the field and could springboard Petra Kvitova's season quite nicely. But and I hope it I hope it does because look, we all love Petra. We know what she's been through and we know what she can produce on the court. Um when you look at the stats valve, causing that um she's gone and, and done this in Qatar, it, it seems almost to be one of her one of her places, one of the one of the events that she really in far and away uh won the most matches um in Doha. I think the the stat at the time last week was, I think she'd won 17 matches all up in Doha, and the next best was Alina uh, with six. So at this point, that figure is probably up around 20. So really, it's not about uh, Petra, Queen of the Desert, how well she's done uh, over in um, in. Yeah, look, all we can really do is hope, and I mean, she beat some trippers uh, on the way. Obviously, uh, Gabinier in the final, as you've already mentioned, who we know has had... A pretty good start to the year. Probably, I think she was unlucky at the Australian Open because she ran into Naomi Osaka 
at an opportune time. But having said that, had her chances in that match. But of course, eventually got rolled by the eventual champion, uh, Naomi Osaka. Um, this tournament, though, in, in Qatar, I mean, Petro, she beat some tricky customers. We've already spoken about Garbinia, but uh, Jessica Pagula as well. We know had a really, really good Australian Open, fell in the end to Jennifer Brady. But yeah, to really surmise everything, geez, I hope we see more of Petra this season, Bell. And I think she's really hoping as well that Wimbledon goes ahead because that is uh, that is without question. Obviously, the stats uh, tell the whole story, um, but clearly the, the event that she thrives at, the Grand Slam that she thrives at. Well, are we all hoping that Wimbledon goes ahead? We missed it last year and we <laughs> yeah. missed it in devastating fashion last year. It was just terrible not to have the grass court swing. But um, we won't be seeing her salute in Dubai because uh, Jill Teachman from uh, Switzerland has knocked off Petra Kvitova, 6-2-3-4 Kvitova, um, having to pull out of that match. I think just a little bit of fatigue and a little bit of injury after winning last week and then carrying through a couple of yeah. matches so far in um, in Dubai. So, yeah, more than fair enough. It's something that we generally expect with a lot of tennis players after they back up um, from winning a title the week before. But look, Garbinia Muguruza has proved to be one of the form players of the season. She uh, was staggeringly close to winning a title in uh, the Melbourne Summer Series, falling to Ash Barty in the final there and was beating some phenomenal players to get through to that final. And then, as we mentioned, the Australian Open, getting uh, through and almost knocking off and probably should have beaten, as we said, Naomi Osaka. Now this results as well. Where does this leave her season? And... She's won the French Open, she's won Wimbledon, and she can play on the hard court. She is a true all-court player. What can we say of her going into the clay court swing? Because she's got the game. It all just depends on where other players are situated in the draw. Because I think with the women's game, what's so wonderful about it is that players match up against each other so differently. And one player, so say, you know, you've got a Gabinia Muguruza who could match up so well against Simona Hallett but then doesn't match up as well against the Serena Williams or a Naomi Osaka type. But she can play and beat them both on her day because she's got that counter-punching game. But when they're on, it's very hard for her to beat them. So it's very interesting. And the clay, I think, is a really good service for her. But yeah, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on where you see her season going and where she can actually finish it on the form that she's, um, that she's shown so far. Well, the thing that's sticking out at the moment with Garbinia Val is her ability, I guess, to get past that final hurdle because she's doing all the all the right things and all the hard work in the draw in the early rounds. Um, I think in the in that event um, at the Melbourne Summer Series where she went down against Ash Barty in the final. Prior to that match, she hadn't lost a set, I don't think, no. um, and. The, the most amount of games she had dropped in a set was, I think, three. I'm even going to go as far as saying it might have been two. So um, she was playing some some wonderful tennis. And, yeah, and as I said before, going into the Australian Open, I think she got really lucky having bumped into Naomi um, when she did. I guess you have to ask questions of the fact that uh, she got herself into the position that she was in, but she wasn't able to to hang on, um, which was really, really disappointing because she was looking fantastic. And, well, she still is looking fantastic. But, um, you know, I think for her it's it's now a case of um, going back to the drawing board and, um, and I guess, seeing what she, what she can do now to, to get over the top in, um, 
in finals, clearly. Um, obviously, we haven't really had the uh, the ability to see much play as uh, as the tour has gone over to the other side of the world. But um, it, it's, I mean, it seems like she's doing just about everything right. So yep. it, it really should be coming up to her time of year, going sort of entering back into the European swing soon. Um, and then like Petra as well, that we were talking about before, um, getting onto Wimbledon because we know that she's good on clay, but um, she's also got the game um, to go a long way on grass too. Yep, agreed completely. And yeah, this year is going to be so exciting as sort of the the follow-on from what was a remarkable 2020 for the WTA, seeing all those new champions and all those new contenders come through. And yeah, I think that was the most exciting part of the season with all even the old firmers coming back into the fold, like Victoria Azarenka and Serena Williams showing that she can still make a Grand Slam semi-final and possibly keeping that narrative afloat of winning number 24. So the WTA is perfectly poised. And on the ATP, it was Andre Rublev um, with a straight sets win, 7-6-6-4 over Martin Fucevic in the Rotterdam final. His 20th consecutive ATP 500 match win in a row. He's in some serious form. And that form is, uh, well, we might as well just say it, Joel. Bwere. He's, uh, he's, he's now a famous grunt every time he wheels around for that forehand is um, is something to behold. And um, it, it's just phenomenal. And Diego Schwartzman takes his first title on home soil in Buenos Aires um, and ending the Francisco Serundolo run of, uh, well, possibly his first title. Uh, it was his first <laughs> final after his brother won Manuel. Serundolo, reign of terror. Well, yeah, pretty much. His brother, Juan Manuel, won the title in Cordoba the week before. And uh, yeah, Francisco, unfortunately, couldn't get the job done. It would have been... It would have been an unbelievable narrative. I think they would have been, I think, just the second set of brothers after the Zverevs to win titles in the same season uh, since, I think, the 90s. So genuinely a phenomenal stat for them both to make a final, considering neither of them are inside the top 100. But um, look, the, the top of the agenda was Novak Djokovic. And before we do get to him, there's one man, Joel, who has made his return in Doha overnight and Look, he's, he might not be the most well-known person in the world. Oh, what the hell he is. His name is Roger Federer, and he is back in fine fashion. It was a massive match against Dan Evans. It was 7-6-3-6-7-5 in an epic. It went for over two and a half hours in Roger's return, and the COVID cobwebs were there because Federer did forget his towel to take it to um, his opening service game to start the match and forgot and had to ask Mohamed Leani the umpire, what's, um, uh, what the time in between points was if it was 25 seconds. And um, look, whoever did schedule Mohamed Layani to umpire Federer's comeback match, bravo. Absolute applause to that person because it does not get better than that. The greatest of all time with the greatest umpire of all time, it was just, it was a dream come through for the cockles of my heart and for my eardrums because, yeah, just hearing Layani's voice is uh, is enough to warm uh, to warm the cockles of anybody's heart. But it was it, there was a little bit of rust there from Roger Federer, and you could see that the the way that he played, he was sort of laughing everything off, and all of the mistakes that he did make. He was going for dry volleys, he was shanking, he was missing, and kind of laughing them all off because I think there was just sheer jubilation that he was back out on the court, and that's something that was not possible for 405 days since his Australian Open exit in 2020 at the hands of Novak Djokovic. So. An amazing result for Federer to get back, to get the win against Dan Evans, who he's practiced against for pretty much the entirety 
of the last week, Federer said they played about 20 sets against each other. So Evans would know what Federer is capable of at the moment and was definitely exploiting a lot of those weaknesses last night and was playing some pretty phenomenal tennis. He's in some good form himself, the world number 28, winning a title in the Melbourne Summer Series. But interested to get your thoughts, Joel, on where you think Roger Federer will finish this tournament. It'll be up against Nicolas Basilashvili tonight. Um, and yeah, I'm very interested to see what you think he'll he'll be able to conjure up in um in a tournament that he's won three times previously. Yeah, well, first of all, I think he'll get past Basilashvili. I mean, he has been uh, rather average in the past year since the restart. I'm not sure how he's got to this point. Um, but anyway, that's uh, that's a different matter. Um, look, I think um, if we learned anything from Ash Barty's summer. Um, it's that you can't underestimate just how much of an impact missing 12 months effectively of match play um, uh, can have because uh, obviously Ash did miss a lot of um, a lot of tennis. She won a title, of course, um, but there were points in the Open, probably in the latter stages of her run, where she looked a little bit scratchy and, and Roger, by the same token, looked a little bit scratchy um, himself. So I think going through Doha and going through Dubai as well, um, I'm not really expecting Roger to win either title. I mean, he's a chance. I think certainly in Doha, I think he's running into Denis Shapovalov in the semifinal. So that's going to be a really, really tough ask um, for Roger. Of course, he's capable, but look, Shapo has been playing some really good tennis um, this year. I think um, there's there's no doubt that uh, he, he would probably look back, I think, on some, of it, on some of his results and think, yeah, maybe I should have done better there. But overall, playing some pretty good tennis. But, look, I think it's going to be a little while still until we see the best uh, of Roger Federer, the Roger Federer that we know. I think we just need to, to sort of temper our expectations a little bit and uh, give him some time before he really hits his straps. Yeah, I think so. And, look, last night, if last night was anything to go by, it's, it's not going to be something that happens straight away. But... Look, who knows? He might just need a week to get back into the swing of things like he did in 2017, but he was 35 then. He's 39 now. The body heals and mm. and adjusts at different paces, even in a four-year period. You know, 35 and 39 in, in the sporting world is um is a long, long time. So who knows what we're going to see. It is Roger, though. He can do anything. Exactly right. And look, he is the... He's the greatest of all time in, in my eyes and the way that he does play the game. It is just so aesthetically pleasing to watch and tennis is so much better off for having him back and even the backhand down the line to win it was quite simply, Joel, and I'm going to say it, it was orgasmic. Um, and, you know, I, I did struggle sleeping last night and was, um, yeah, was, uh, luckily enough, he was playing at the time. So, yeah, the fact that I was able to watch that and, um, yeah, he's just it's just great to have him back. But... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what we're going to see from Federer. And he said the knee pulled up okay and he felt fine. But yeah, the, I think that as he goes further into the tournament, I said semifinals before the tournament did start. Um, and a lot of people, I think, echoed that consensus there. But um, who knows, with Roger Federer, he won the Australian Open in 2017 after playing the Hotman Cup the week before, which coincidentally, he did play his first comeback match against Dan Evans that year. So it's like Evans is kind of his comeback player four years in the future. Um, so very, very interesting stuff there. But yeah, it's just great to have Roger Federer back on tour. And yeah, hopefully we can see him push for Wimbledon 
Tokyo Olympics and the US Open and the, the three major tournaments that he said that he wants to focus on in 2021. But another record uh, breaker that we do have in the midst of tennis is Novak Djokovic, who broke Roger Federer's record of 310 weeks at world number one. He sits on 311 and is guaranteed to get to 316. So an amazing achievement for Novak Djokovic to do so. And who knows how many more weeks we will see of him because he just has that much of a lead over the rest of the field, which is kind of log jammed down from two to three to four, then a little bit of a gap to Stefano Tsitsipas in five, and then an even more of a gap to Roger Federer in number six. So it's um it's very interesting to see what we what will happen because could Nadal, Medvedev, and team start to take points off each other and give Novak a clear lead at the top for maybe possibly another year. Well, I'm just going to put it straight out there. I think Novak will be number one for the entire year. I don't think I don't think he's going to be moved at all this year. I think he'll be up the top of the tree until 2022 at least. Um, he's he's that far ahead, and he is just playing such good tennis, consistent tennis. It's just it's just Novak. It's it's what we know Novak for. The guy just looks absolutely infallible at the moment. Um, yeah, just. On, on fire and that I guess it probably leads into a discussion that we've been meaning to have for a little bit Val and you, you brought this up and um, it's why can't the next gen seem to really break through the big three of Djokovic, Nadal and Federer because really all we've seen is Dominic team win the US Open and it's probably fair enough to say that if that ball misses Laura Clark by about two centimetres, if it's a couple of inches either way and it misses her, he probably doesn't win that title. Yeah. So you could almost you could almost argue that um, <laughs> you could almost argue or make a case for it. Of course, he's won the Grand Slam, but you could almost make a case that um, you know he probably almost shouldn't have won it in in a sense, um, which is harsh on Dominic. Because I think that's very what harsh. happened happened. We, we we can't change it. He still might have won. We never know that. Yeah. But I think at that I think at that point I probably my house still would have been on, on Novak to win the event. Um, but other than that, no one's really broken through, and we we consistently see that, particularly at Grand Slams, no one can can really push these guys. We saw Sitsipas knock over Nadal coming back from two sets down, which I think shocked everyone. Yeah. Um, but overall, it's it's hasn't happened all that often. No, and, and you're you're 100% right. In best of three sets, I think the next gen are well and truly there. And we've seen Roger Federer said it yesterday that we've seen the last four winners of the ATP finals have been Dimitrov, Zverev, Tsitsipas, and Medvedev. Djokovic hasn't made the final since 2016. Uh, none of the big three have made the final since 2000. Oh, actually, no, Djokovic made it in 2018. But that's the only occasion where someone from the big three has made the final of the ATP finals since 2016 in Murray and Djokovic. And, that, and that's been, I think, the problem. They can do it in best of three. But over best of five, Dominic Team is probably the only one, and maybe Medvedev, that can go with these big guys. And that's what's so frustrating about the entire, uh, just the entire field, because we know that they've got the capabilities to do it. And we know that the quality of these players is elite, but why can't they do it in the Grand Slams? And it's just so disappointing that you see Tsitsipas, he comes off a massive win over Nadal, 
And then Daniel Medvedev absolutely destroys him. And then Medvedev gets to the final where we all think, oh, geez, he's a really big chance to, to win this. And he just and then he gets destroyed. And then he implodes. He absolutely implodes. And then that implosion continued against Dusan Lajevic in Rotterdam where he got absolutely spanked off the court by the Serb. And it's funny, in his last, in, you know, since his winning streak started, Daniel Medvedev, Serbs are the only ones that have beaten him. Yeah, or, or challenged him, actually. Or at least challenged him. because Phil Kranovich got two sets off him. Exactly. So I'm not sure what's going on there with Daniel Medvedev, but he um he really needs to pull, pull it out a little bit. But he will get, and this is this is what I wanted to bring up, we are finally going to see a different world number two, Joel. Since July 2005, the only... <laughs> Jesus. The only five... There's only four men, sorry, that have sat inside the top two in the rankings. They are Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, and Andy Murray. Those are the only four. Crazy. Leighton Hewitt was the last non-Big Four member to get to be world number two. That's and insane. he's been retired from singles for four years. Five years. So it's it's genuinely unfathomable that these four guys have had such a domination. But Daniel Medvedev, with Nadal not playing in Acapulco, Medvedev will take the reins as number two. I did say as my predict- prediction for 2021 that he would reach world number one. Apart from two matches, what I've seen from him is pretty optimistic. I think he still can get there, but those mental implosions are going to have to stop. They are going to have to cease fire because it is ridiculous. But mm. we even saw Alexander Zverev, someone that should be there by now. He's been in the top 10 for four, four years, Joel. Four years and been challenging these guys. How many chances did he have against Novak Djokovic at the Oz Open in the quarters? He won the first, yeah, well, should yeah. have bottled and, and and almost bottled it. The second set, Novak was clear and far away the better player. Third set, Zverev has points to go up four one. Fourth set, Zverev has points to go up four one, and he can't do it. And he couldn't put Novak away. Yeah. Had set points in that fourth set. I think I think Alex. I, I almost think that he represents the entire next gen in a sense when we stack them up against the big three at slams. And that's, it's all between the ears um, because this is a guy, again, we know what he can do like all the other guys in the top 10, but so often with Alex and we, we know with Alex, we know that he just still needs to work things out mentally. Yeah. Um, Starts with the, starts with the second serve. Oh. Um, and going through his, his going, and yeah, that, that's a whole other can of worms. And going through his service motion, um, but, but I, I just think, I just think, uh, the current situation that Alex finds himself in is almost indicative of uh, where all those guys are at as a collective. Yeah, no, I I agree, I agree a hundred percent because it is, it's just, I'm still shocked that none of them have been able to do it. They are, it's getting to a point where they're eight years the junior of these big three members. Medvedev is 25 years old. Djokovic is 33. And they still can't bridge that gap because they've got the energy. They've got, you know, their bodies should be primed here. This is the peak of their career. And in best of three sets, I have no doubt that any of these guys can beat Nadal, Djokovic, Federer, any of them. But at a slam, it is a completely different story. And Medvedev, had he won that first set, I think it probably would have been a different story against Novak. But I think that broke him a little bit because he came back. Novak still won it. Medvedev seemed like he was having the better of the rallies as well in that first set. But then Novak came back, won it, broke 
Medvedev back straight straight away in the second set after Medvedev went up. Mm. Um, and, and that was that. So it, it's really interesting. And you look at what these three guys have done. I think I looked at the stat. It was 30, 31 Grand Slam winners between 2000 and 2009. Between 2010 and now, there's been 16. Nearly yeah. half. That's the domination that these guys have had. And that is that is scary, absolutely scary. So yeah, it's genuinely actually no, sorry, thirty-two. I think Grand Slam finalists. Sorry, not Grand Slam winners. Grand Slam finalists. So thirty-two Grand Slam finalists, thirty-one Grand Slam. Oh my god, (laughs) thirty-one Grand Slam finalists and and sixteen Grand Slam finalists in the two different decades. So. Um, yeah, if I can get my stats right and get my words out, there we go. We can get it done. But um, that, that and that's just the sheer domination that these guys have had. So it's look, it's interesting, and I think the French Open will probably see more of the same with Nadal winning it. Dominic Team's the biggest chance there of un, of usurping him as the king of clay for a year. But other than that, I can't even see Novak beating Nadal. Then we get to the grass, and again, if Rogers fully fit or Novak's fully fit, I can't see any of either of those two losing before the final. And then you get to the US Open, courts are quicker, could suit Medvedev, could suit team again, could suit Zverev, but what will they do? Will it get to a point where, oh my God, none of us three have won a slam, or Tsitsipas as well, none of us have won a slam, Rublev, you know, there's pressure on us to do it this year, and if one of the big three wins it again, you know, that's that's a real blight on this next generation, and mentally... They're close to being as beat down as what your Songas, your Burdiches, your Gasquets, your Simons, your Ferrers, your Raniches, um, and your Nishikoris, all of those guys. They're as close to being as beat down as what the previous generation were. And I'm sorry, but it is that close. And your Dimitrovs as well. Throw him because he ain't winning a slam. He's had his chance. Yep. Agreed. Um I don't know. Really, I don't really know if I can add to that, mate. You, you, you've summed it up pretty well. It's um, look, yeah. As as much as I want uh, a new champion at Roland Garros or Wimbledon or the US Open, I think we can almost categorically rule out Roland Garros, assuming Rafa is fit. Because, well, I mean, who dares bet against Rafa to win on, on on clay? I mean, let's let's be honest about that. Yeah. Um, I think. Look, I think I think Wimbledon is probably. Uh, the, the biggest opportunity for someone new to win with the fast court. So I think that really suits a Medvedev or it really suits a Tsitsipas or if he's worked it out, it, it suits a Zverev. Um, yeah. They're probably the three guys. But other than that, um, you, you just you see Rafa maintaining the, the monopoly on on clay. You see... Um, even though okay, I'm going to say the monopoly on hardcore with with Novak. Um, obviously, the AO is more of his event, but mm. uh, I mean, same surface pretty much at the US Open. So, look, I it's it's difficult to see anyone challenging those guys on, at those events. Yeah, and it really is. I, I genuinely can't see anybody pushing them. I really can't. And yeah, and. It's a sad truth. I, I and I look. I really think Medvedev and team are the ones, and possibly Zverev. But I think Medvedev and team are the ones that can do it on a more consistent basis. I hope we see it at the French Open. And I hope we see it for the rest of the year. But what the Australian Open showed and established was that mentally, there's still a long way off. Because Sissipas was able to beat Nadal, 
but even you've got guys like Ranić, Fritz, Zverev, all of them are playing a so-called injured Novak Djokovic, which I still don't believe he was injured or it wasn't that bad. But they still can't beat him. They're that, yeah, they're, back there, <laughs> they're that mentally impaired by this guy that they just can't overcome him. And that, and yeah, but I think, I think, I think one, one other thing that we've got to say as well is that's that's in big part down to what Novak has achieved. Guys yeah. hate playing him, and guys guys know that this guy isn't beaten until he's beaten. Yeah. and I think that's that's just down to. The guy's mindset, his attitude, and just the style of play and the consistency. Yep, and you're playing a reputation rather than anything else. So when he's fully fit, you're playing his best quality and his reputation. When he's injured, still, you're playing that reputation. But that's what players need to get out of their head that, you know, he's hampered. Get the ball in, run him around, figure something out. But he's just got that quality that gets in their heads and um, and, and gets through. So this year, I think, poses some big questions for tennis. Uh, men's tennis, I think. Women's tennis, I think, is yeah, in, a, in a prime spot um, and is so exciting at the moment. Oh, and we'll speak WTA to... is in a fantastic spot. Yeah, man. and we'll speak to Anastasia about that as well. But, um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens over the next six months on the ATP because this is make or break for these next-gen guys. If they don't win a slam next year, uh, this year, I think the future is going to be fairly fairly dim for them in terms of um, their mental capacity to get over adversity. Um, and I know that sounds harsh, but, you know, they are in their prime at the moment and I think they need to really step up a gear. Easier said than done because I certainly couldn't do it <laughs> and I'm nowhere near <laughs> a level. I probably wouldn't even get a ball over the net. So, um, you know, that that's, why, us, <laughs> that's why we're sitting here and they're doing what they're doing. But I think that is what needs to happen. Now, Joel, we think we've come up with the greatest segment of all segments in Benoit of the week. And, you know, it's it's taking, it is catching people, or more people are catching and falling in love with this than COVID because it is that good. <laughs> uh, more yeah, people I'm going to I'm gonna have, to, gonna have to correct you, Val. We know we've come up with the greatest segment of all time, not we think, <laughs> we know. <laughs> I was trying to downplay it a little bit, but more people are, falling, <laughs> are, are catching Benoit fever than COVID-19. And, well... Who is this week's Benoit of the Week, Joel? Uh, yeah, so this week's Benoit of the Week is Benoit, again. <laughs> um, and so uh, the reason for that is, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will have seen it, but um, he had quite the day last week in uh, Buenos Aires against uh, Francisco Cerundolo uh, during the uh, Cerundolo Reign of Terror in Argentina, as we, uh, we said before. Um, so on the day, um, played against him, the, uh, the older brother of the, uh, Fernandolo brothers, uh, lost four, six, six, three, six, one. Now what happened in that match was disputed line call. Um, he, Benoit spat on the court, which, uh, is, is something I don't think I've ever seen before. But, I've seen um, him. I've seen him do it. We're before. not going to condone it. Even. Oh yeah. Well, he's probably about the only one that, uh, has slash could do it. Um, yeah, of course, we're not, even by his standards, we're not going to condone that. That's, that's, uh, you can't do that. Nope. Um, but then in the last game, he was down 5-1. And uh, having got his, I think, his first turn in at uh, Love 15, um, lost, the, lost that point, or the next point, and then after that, just completely tanked that game. That's really the only word you can use for it. 
just utterly tanked it, um, just threw the ball up and just hit hit the ball wherever you <laughs> whichever which way really. Um, it was just it was not good to see, but it was not the first time we've seen Benoit do it, and that's it. He's Benoit of the week again. Yep, and well for and look. It was, but also because he was dan- he went out dancing afterwards and was dancing beforehand, Joel, and that's probably the big yeah, thing. Yeah, went out partying. It was, it was a literal Benoit fluctuation because he was so happy before the tournament. He seemed very happy in the nightclub after the tournament in the bar that he was in in Buenos Aires. But um, he gave us this little bit of dynamite before the tournament even started, and he was doing an interview uh before the uh, before the event in Buenos Aires, and well. Look, we'll just play it for you. We don't really need to explain it. Voy a cantar una canción de mi ciudad. Sur le pont d'Avignon, on y danse, on y danse. Sur le pont d'Avignon, on y danse tout ça. Vamos! God, the man is just... He is, he is a lunatic, but the best lunatic that you could ever imagine. Um... It's just hilarious because it was the most on-brand week that Benoit has ever had, or one of the most on-brand weeks. Mm. Just it was pretty much if we came and we do have to come up with this Benoit bingo because they could easily we be, still have to do that. Yeah, I know we've been talking about this for about a year and we haven't done it since we came back. But it's been you know loses interest, gains interest, reloses interest, spits on the court, throws his racket, kicks a sponsor's board, tanks, um, starts dancing. Um, like it is, it plays outrageous shot. We could easily come up with this, and hit, and someone would get bingo. They'll start playing it in the elderly nursing homes. It is that. It is oh. going to be. It is going to be that popular. Um, and again, <laughs> pumping ourselves up as as we tend not to do on this show. But yeah, that is Benoit of the week this week, and he moves to the outright leader of Benoit of the year with two votes. And then there's a logjam of people on one. We won't list them all, but um, we're sure that more people will get onto multiples. Um, before the season is out. Joel, it has been an absolute pleasure chatting all things tennis with you. It's been a very fun night. Yeah, it has been. Um, and we left it on uh, quite a funny night. So, uh, yeah, it's been good. Catch you next week, though. Catch you next week, mate. I wish I could sing that song in French or at least translate it to what it means. If anybody does speak French out there that knows the lyrics to that song <laughs> in English, we would love to know what they are. So if any French speakers out there, please... Um, tweet us at Breakpoint Pod, and you can also follow us on Twitter at Breakpoint Pod, Instagram Breakpoint Podcast, Facebook at Breakpoint Pod One, or just search Breakpoint Podcast. We are there. Subscribe on Wooshka, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Wherever you get your podcasts, we'll be there as well. And Val Febo and Joel Fritchie here with you, as per usual, every week on Breakpoint Podcast. We can't wait to chat more about Roger Federer's return to tennis next week, as well as the new world number two, Daniel Medvedev.